You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, y'all know Pat Riley. He's a famous player and coach. And when he was coaching the Miami Heat in 2006, they made it to the finals. And they had to play the Dallas Mavericks. And so they went on the road and they were down in Dallas for the first two games and it didn't start off well. They lost their first two games. And if you know statistics for you uh, sports fans, uh, if you lose three games, your statistics are nil on winning the finals, right? Literally nil. I don't think a, a team has ever done it. Right. So uh, they went back to Miami, flew back to Miami, because if y'all don't know this, it's the best four out of seven games for the NBA finals. So they flew back to Miami and they won all three games in a row. So now they had to pack up and they had two more games over in Dallas. And so, uh, of course, they rallied and they actually won. Miami Heat actually beat Dallas Mavericks in 06 for the finals. They won the finals. And after the uh, game was over, someone interviewing or speaking with Pat Riley uh, was talking to him about his expectations for the game. And he said, you want to know about, you know, my expectations, something along that lines. He said, I packed one outfit for this trip. He was so sure and so confident in his team that they were going to win that he packed one outfit. Listen, church, there's a lot of insecurity and inconsistency and hesitation when it comes to the topic of discipline in the home. But parents need to know that when you walk into a room to discipline a child or a granddaughter or a a stepson or foster daughter or even a fellow believer who, who may be in sin, you can have the confidence that if you do things God's way, <laughs> when you confront sin with the truth, it's going to be a win. We need to have the confidence to pack light. All right. Trust in the promises and instructions of God's word. Hebrews 12 is where I want to look at this morning to show us this and encourage us along this path. It's probably one of the greatest passages in the Bible regarding biblical discipline. So let's read this together. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've, have, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I want to ask Jeff Bing to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for just securing the uh, freedom that we have to come into a house of worship, Lord, just to openly praise you. Lord, we just thank you for the leadership team that you provided and blessed Piper and Baptist Church with, or Went and Vicki and Hunter and Lindy and Josh and Annie. Lord, we just thank you for their service. Lord, we uh, thank you for those that work behind the scenes, uh, putting uh, brochures together and preparing the air conditioner. And Lord, those that uh, serve in capacities of uh, Sunday school teaching. And we do, Lord, we do thank you for the praise and worship team that you've given us. It seems that it doesn't matter if it's the first string, the second string, or the third string, Father. They're just a, a great group. Lord, we uh, just ask that you'll just uh, bless this word that we're about to uh, be invoked on, Lord, as, uh, as Pastor Went brings the message. And as a nation, as we are almost about to celebrate our independence, Lord, uh, we thank you for that. But so much more, we thank you for the independence that we can find in your son, Christ. Amen. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jeff. Now, the book of Hebrews is really, ironically, like a sermon. Matter of fact, a lot of scholars believe it was a message that was, was adapted from a sermon that the author preached, uh, which isn't unusual because we have other sermons uh, written down in the Bible. And it was a letter probably written to Jewish Christians. And while we may not know who the author is, we could debate all day on who wrote the book, the author knew the audience and the author knew Timothy, right? But here's what's ironic. Many scholars think uh, false teachers were creeping into the church and attacking new Christians, new Jewish believers, by trying to turn them back again to Judaism. Now, Judaism was like enforcing Mosaic law and a whole lot of other man-made laws, all right? Hebrews 13, 9, verse 9 even says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, you know, like legalism and food. You can, you can eat this, you can't eat that, which have not benefited those devoted to them, <laughs> And if we took time to read Hebrews, all of chapters 3 through 10, uh, we'd see it's basically all about Christ's superiority over the Mosaic laws and the rituals and the sacrifices. So why is that ironic? Well, I believe that false teachers, along with persecution, led to this needed letter of encouragement. And here's what's really ironic. Of all the topics that God could have chosen to encourage us with, to encourage those believers thousands of years ago with, he chose a discussion about discipline, right? How can discipline be encouragement? Well, oh, that's what we're going to try to prove today. And if I had to pick one word to describe the entire book of Hebrews, it would be the word endurance. And I say all of this because it explains our main point. Understanding discipline a biblical understanding of discipline is absolutely vital to enduring faith, not just enduring as a parent, 
but enduring in your faith. Hebrews 12 is explaining that one of the keys to enduring faith, right? Faith that lasts, faith that doesn't sizzle, uh, sizzle in the springtime, but fizzle out with the heat of summer. A, a key to the heroic, enduring faith of Scripture is understanding discipline. And the first discipline that's mentioned in Hebrews 12 is not the, the paddle kind, it's the pace kind. We'll call this the discipline of endurance. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, sin, which clings so closely. And it's not just ta targeting any specific sin, but any sin that makes you pull away from your faith. And let us run with here's the word, endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's three encouragements that he gives us in these two verses. And first is the therefore. There's actually two therefores in this passage, and y'all have heard me say this before, but when you come to a therefore, you want to see what it's Therefore, all right, and uh, the preceding chapter of Hebrews 11 is Hebrews 11, right? And that's what we call the great hall of faith. It's all these heroes of the faith. Now, they're sinful, but they were heroes in their faith. They're mentioned for their faith. It mentions, uh, it calls them a great cloud of witnesses in chapter 12. And let me just say here, we shouldn't overinterpret this to mean that there's some actual stadium of the souls of deceased believers sitting around eating hot dogs and ordering drinks while we down here on earth get up to bat. Come on, Keith, you got it. You know, I mean, that's not the idea. All right. It just means that the runners, that's us, can be spurred on to good works by those believers who set such great examples through their faith throughout their lives, this great cloud of witnesses. They're not spectators. That's not encouraging. They're participators. That's the encouraging part. These aren't armchair quarterbacks, right, sitting around with a beer belly yelling at a flat screen TV because the people aren't making good plays. You can't even reach the handle on your recliner, so don't be yelling at that screen. That's not what the idea is. Just like Hebrews 12 says, the great cloud of witnesses had the discipline of endurance. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, faith, and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. How did they receive their commendation? By the endurance of their faith and conviction. So the discipline of endurance always has its focus on the things that we are looking forward to. Now, here's where it comes into play in the discipline in our homes, right? It's not just about right now. There are a lot of parents, and I pray you don't have this mentality, that I'm going to try this Bible thing. There's a lot of Christians that say, or a lot of unbelievers that say, I'm going to try this church thing. If, if I like it, it works out, so be it. And if it doesn't, I'm going to... I'm going to sleep in next Sunday, right? And we have that same mentality when it comes to applying the principles of Scripture in our home. If we apply them, right, it's hard to apply them. But when we do it and it's difficult and then we don't get the results we need immediately, then we're kind of ticked off. Hey, come on, this is supposed to work first time, right? And so we abandon it. That's not the idea at all. 
Proverbs 22 verse 6 is probably one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. It's all over Facebook. It's on your grandmother's pillow. And it's written on, you know, people's walls everywhere. And it says, and it's really focusing on long-term hope from the right now discipline. All right. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Are you saying when he's young, he will depart from it? No, <laughs> it may be, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying whether your child rebels against biblical practices or learns from them and complies. Either way, we must hope in God, our father's policy and procedure manual, right? known better as the written word of God. So we look to all those heroes of the faith who trusted in the coming promises that we now get to see in Christ and say, if, if their faith endured, therefore mine can too. The second encouragement in the discipline of endurance is the word itself, discipline. It's used three times here in Hebrews 12, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 10. It's the Greek word, pideo. It means, or it's from pace, and it means a child under development with strict training. Properly, it means to train up a child so they mature and realize their full potential, their development. This requires necessary discipline, which includes administering chastisement or punishment. And by the way, that word chastisement always gets misunderstood. Chastisement almost sounds like a, a one brother picking on another brother. Quit chastising me, all right? But it literally means to seek their purity. That's what chasing means. It's chasing after, to seek their purity. I think of a father chasing after their son who's running into the street. I'm not thinking while I'm chasing my son, boy, when I get my hands on him, I'm gonna wear him out. That's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if I don't reach my son in time, he's going to die. So it's full motivation of love behind my chasing. And that's the mentality that we should see here. So discipline literally means to instruct by training. It's where we get our English terms pedagogue or pedagogy, right? Pedagogy means the method or practice of teaching. So parents, what's your method? I hope I, you got to have one. I hope you have one. I want to give you a chart up here that I believe describes a general uh, idea of parenting, the different types of parenting. All right. These are broad, simple categories. The top left says no discipline, but lots of love. Right. Bottom left says discipline, but no love. That's not a good one. Uh, top right says no discipline, no love. And then the bottom right, and this is the one we should model, is discipline with love. Where's, which category are you using? <laughs> Someone said discipline without love leads to rebellion and love without discipline leads to anarchy. I think we have both in our nation, right? Church, we need a method and we need to make sure that our method of parenting and of discipline is based on scripture, meaning it's in line with the biblical definition of the word discipline, which includes grace and love. The third encouragement in the discipline of endurance is Jesus himself, all right? Hebrews 12, 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's the finish line, right? It's the start and finish and the daring. <laughs> the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Three things Jesus did to encourage us uh, in our discipline of endurance. First, He's the founder, 
He's the CEO and he's the quality control of his own company, of his own kingdom, of our faith. Hebrews says we look to him as we run because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, go ahead, look at your neighbor. Say, you can't perfect your faith. You cannot perfect your faith. Go ahead, tell them the truth. Now say, only God can. Look at him, tell them. You can't perfect your faith, only God can. Church, that should be comforting to you. Because so many of us are striving and we're not winning. Because we think we can perfect our faith. But what does the Bible say? It says he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's encouraging. <laughs> okay, I, I don't have to do this, but I need, I, Jesus is going to do this in me. Second, Jesus saw past the challenge of discipline to the joy set before him, right? So trust in the coming joy. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, verse 6, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as Hebrews 12 verse 2 says that Christ is seated in heaven, our souls are seated with him now through the righteousness of Christ. So endure, endure because of these truths. Third, Jesus despised the despising. Jesus despised the despising. Hey parents, listen, he despised the shame. Anytime you talk about any form of discipline, especially any physical type of discipline, be it a wooden spoon or a belt or something or a paddle, uh, you're going to be criticized for it in today's world. You will. Right? If you talk about that, I mean, and by the way, it doesn't matter what form of discipline you use. Uh, when your kid acts up in public, you're going to have some prideful parent or grandparent give you a sneer in a Walmart somewhere as if they think you've never disciplined your child before in their entire lives. Right? Y'all, anybody testify? You're like, yes. All right. <laughs> oh, I know my, I shouldn't tell that story. I can't tell that story. I can't tell that story. Every now and then I bright on my tongue. It doesn't always happen. I remember uh, I was having a parent meeting years ago. I was a student pastor in Virginia for 10 years, almost 10 years. And I had some form of parent meeting. There were uh, parents there, mothers mostly from all over, from different denominations because their kids participated in the ministries of our church. And I, in passing, I have an older daughter. She's 24 uh, and married and as a matter of fact she has a shirt that says I survived the spoon and um, I don't know what that means but she does and uh, but so so I mentioned now she was little at the time Shiloh was and I mentioned in in the context of my conversation at this parent meeting I mentioned spanking or something my child and I promise you the whole back row lit up I mean they they were looking at each other they looked at me like I was an unloving psychopath of a dad. I mean, that's the vibe I got. And I just kind of had a muscle on through the, the meeting. It was very evident, you know, the, the movement on the back pew. It's like sometimes when I yell and some of y'all wake up, it's very noticeable. All right. Uh, it's, it's, not, and it's not like I use that form of discipline every day, right? There are multiple forms of training or discipline, but physical discipline is one of them. And by the way, it is legal. 
the last I read, in all 50 states and the District of Columbia, you are not forbidden by law to use corporal punishment, so they call it, on your child as long as the form of punishment is reasonable and does not cause injury. That being said, if you can't wield a wooden spoon or a belt or your own hand with love and self-control, then don't use it at all. But don't despise the discipline you're using. You can despise no discipline. You can despise unloving discipline. But discipline is necessary and biblically expected and commanded. So despise the world's despising. Be wise, right? But use discipline, love your children. And my point here is that Jesus had the discipline of endurance because he saw the joy that would come after the pain of the cross, right? There's a discipline of endurance with participators, not spectators who finish well, right? The word discipline itself has a long-term mentality built into its meaning and Jesus himself endured. So can we. God, let us live to see the fruit <laughs> of our discipline of endurance because Lord, you know these kids about to drive me crazy, <laughs> right? Church, understanding discipline is vital to enduring faith. And so there's the discipline of endurance. But second, and this is my only second main point this morning, is the endurance of discipline. There's the discipline of endurance, <laughs> but, but now we look at the endurance of discipline, right? The discipline of endurance is required to win a race, which is mostly an external understanding of discipline. But the endurance, endurance of discipline is required to be a son, all right? And this is mostly an internal understanding. Earthly discipline rewards us with endurance in a race, but understanding God's heavenly discipline rewards us with endurance in our faith. Okay, Lord, I see, I'm starting to see what you're doing with me, and I'm trying to exercise that same love and self-control in my family. Hebrews 12 verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. <laughs> and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And here again, there's three encouragements, this time from three verses instead of two, right? One in verse three, one in verse four, one in verse five. And each of these encourage, each of these uh, problems, there's a problem presented, a struggle presented, and each struggle has an encouragement attached to it. And the first is the world's hostility. Hebrews 12, three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Church, do not miss the, the personal application here to your own forms of discipline in your house. God is reasoning with us as believers. He's saying, look, I, I know, I'm not saying the world's not hostile. I know it's hostile. I get it. And we need to model that same form of understanding to our kids. Yes, we are all, adults and children, mostly spoiled. Yes, many kids today are entitled. We helped make them that way, all right? But that doesn't mean we can't listen. It doesn't matter how wretched their sin. God listens to you <laughs> and you are mostly unreasonable. So listen to your kids. 
Jesus is listening. He's saying in his word, don't grow weary or faint-hearted. I, I know. I know it's hostile, right? I'm not denying the difficulties of childhood or middle school or high school or, uh, or a mean boss or a, an unloving spouse, no matter the age of your kid that you're, you're counseling with. But God in his own form of discipline doesn't go into attack mode. He goes into encouragement mode. And he uses his own son Jesus as an example of someone who was fully God, but also fully man, who could be tempted with weariness and faint-heartedness in this hostile world where he was living and serving and died. So be encouraged. I know it's hostile, but Jesus faced hardship too, and he loves you. Second struggle mentioned is temptation to sin. Hebrews 12, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What does that mean? I believe it's a, a reference to martyrdom, right? Sure, they, the people that originally heard the book of Hebrews, and we now, we may not be suffering physical persecution. I do think we suffer persecution spiritually. There are consequences of being Christian today. They're, they're increasing, Right? But I think the Christians that first heard this book are just like us. They were fighting less with external foes and more with the enemy of their own sinful nature, right? And while we sympathize with people who sin, I know I personally feel such genuine sorrow when someone else's sin is exposed. I mean, there's no way it couldn't have been exposed if I know about it, right? Somehow it's been exposed. And I don't feel sorrow in some prideful way because I didn't commit that sin. And I don't feel sorrow because I did commit that sin, though I may have committed a similar sin. I feel sorrow because I know the guilt and pain of all sin, right? I know the guilt of sin. If you're a believer, you understand the guilt and the pain and the misery of sin. The world could be great. Your marriage could be perfect. Your kids could be angels. Your bank account could be full. The sun could be shining and you're sitting in your home depressed and miserable because you have guilt over sin. You haven't dealt with it. God wants you to deal with it. And I feel sorrow for people. But at the same time, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, for there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted beyond that which you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape so that you'll be able to bear it church we need to remember this as we discipline our discipline our, our mercy and grace in discipline may not change the severity of the consequences we're yielding or wielding right we, it may not change our child's punishment but our children need to know that we struggle with sin too our struggles are winnable, but they're not easy. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has endured, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Church, imagine a savior who has been tempted in every category of sin as you, but he overcame the temptation. Now that's unbelievable. But equally impressive is the fact that 
in Christ's perfection in temptation, even though he, was per he is perfect, he loves us in our imperfection when we are tempted. How could someone who like won victory over sin be so loving with people who don't win? And, and, and my point here is for us as parents to take note we don't need to rub our spiritual victories over sin in someone else's face, right? But we can sympathize with the struggles of, of others in their sin. I had a, a brother call me this week, uh, last Thursday actually, and he called to tell me of uh, last weekend, last Saturday, he had a really bad day. He had a series, like a machine gun, of unfortunate events, right? Like lemony snickets, all right? Just a series of unfortunate events, like machine gun. Truck broke down, tractor broke down. They, you know, everything was going awry. And he said, "Went. normally I, I'd have handled it a little bit differently. What he meant was he would have pulled out the, the age-old glossary that I like to call expletives 101, you know? <laughs> Men, I think we usually start in the D section and take it to the S section, all right? Some are like, nah, I start in the F section. <laughs> Some of you like to use bywords like sugar cane and, you know. <laughs> I know I do. I don't. I mean, I have. Uh, we've got the same glossary, just so you know. But he said, normally I would have blown a gasket. He said, I, at the end of it all, I realized, he, like after it was over, he was like, I, I didn't blow a gasket. I can't believe it, you know? And so he was calling me, this is a grown man, <laughs> calling me to say, I just want to say praise the Lord that God gave me victory over that. He's sanctifying me. Did you know we have a high priest who wants our W? He wants us to put one in the wind column every minute. Matter of fact, he's actively working and interceding for us through his Holy Spirit to get us a win. Think of that when you discipline your children. Don't think uh, just about the punishment side. Think about the win you want for them. Well, the third struggle mentioned is personal identity. Hebrews 12, verse 5, and have you forgotten who you are? <laughs> Did you forget those pictures sitting on the, on the table of me holding you at the hospital? Do you forget the day of your salvation when you were born again? He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? You Christian men, with no fathers or, or, or wicked fathers. You women who never had a relationship with your mom or your dad. Listen to me. Listen to God's word. If you're a child of God, you are his daughter. You are his son. And that's an exhortation, right? This word for son is heos. It, it's properly it means a son by birth or adoption, that's us. Figuratively, anyone sharing the same nature as their father. And by the way, in the New Testament, it refers to female believers just the same, that same, that word, just read Galatians 3.28. 
But spiritually, it emphasizes likeness of the believer to the Heavenly Father, resembling his character more and more every day as we live by faith. It also highlights the legal right to the Father's inheritance. And wouldn't you know this is the one point in this chapter that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit expands the most? Hebrews 12, verse 5, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't take it lightly. But also, nor be weary when reproved by him. Like, take it seriously, but don't let that, that seriousness lead to some depression when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. Wouldn't you expect that to say every son he disciplines Every son he rejects, every son he punishes, that's not what it says. We like to think of discipline as a rejection, but Christ thinks of it as a reception. Every son he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 10, and he's just speaking of the generality, generalness of of life, right? Of course, there's some fathers that don't discipline and there's some fathers that aren't there at all. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Didn't mean their best was best. <laughs> Didn't mean their best was good. Didn't mean their best was godly. He's just saying they disciplined us and it was a short time and it seemed best to them. But he, he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Church, what is biblical discipline? <laughs> it's acceptance. It's arms open and calling for our ch children, right? It's not arms folded with a frown. It's natural. What good father wouldn't do it? You go ahead and let your child reach up and grab the hot stove, but go on and head to the medicine cabinet and get out some Band-Aids. It's respectable. It's short and sometimes self-serving, right? Earthly fathers get it wrong sometimes. They're doing what it seems best to them. But God is always doing what seems best to make us holy, like him. He's trying to get us to have the attributes that he has, and that's holiness. And finally, it's painful. By the way, when I say, see a parent that, that wants to act as if all forms of Discipline shouldn't include pain, right? And I'm talking about physical or taking away a game or refusing a child's wish despite their satanic tantrum in Walmart, all right? When they say God doesn't call for discipline that's painful, they've got to do some incredible spiritual gymnastics with this verse, right? It makes me think of Bible professors who try to prove that God turned water into grape juice, Right? So the wine was somehow unfermented and un, unintoxicating. Right? To them, I just read Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine. If the wine of Scripture ain't intoxicating, then why is God telling us not to get drunk with it? And if discipline isn't painful, then why is Hebrews 12.11 in the Bible? <laughs> Church, don't be discouraged by your own mistakes or the challenges of discipline on yourself or on your kids. Hebrews 12, 11 says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It does, it does. And that's for both sides of it. 
but later it yields the, listen to this, the peaceful fruit. Isn't that a good word for a mama to hear? <laughs> really? There can be peace? Peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, there's the second therefore, because of all these things, because of the purposes of God's discipline, because he loves you so much, therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet. Come on, snap out of it. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Hey, if things are broken in your life or in your home, or as Hebrews 12, 13 says, lame, don't take another step without understanding God's purposes in discipline, right? Don't walk on a broken leg. You're just going to make it worse. Understand God loves you. It's game six of the finals. You don't need but one outfit, buddy. And it's going to work. Trust God's promises. Set the heading of your house by God's divine compass, his holy word. And by the way, you can set the heading of your heart. You can set the direction of your heart based on his word as well. Would you stand? Father God, uh, nothing is worse than some other parent not understanding your situation not understanding the dynamics of your home and trying to tell you all everything you're doing wrong. And I thank God that we don't have a father in heaven that even does that. He does point us to what is right. He does point us to the purposes and the motives behind the discipline he gives to us. And I think Christ's example to us is one of the best ones we can give to our kids. Lord, I pray now for parents that are struggling with unruly kids and they're about ready to give up. It causes tensions between the hubby and the wife. It causes tensions for the single mother, uh, even for the grandparents. And so, Father, we pray for a patience and a wisdom and a love and a graciousness and a, and a discipline, a method that's full of both discipline and full of love, equally balanced. And I pray you would set us a course for that if there's families that are a little bit lame right now that you would strengthen what strengthen them heal that broken leg so they can walk on it again give us the endurance not only in our faith but in the way we uh, lead our homes so that we can be more like you but first help us to understand your motives you love us you are seeking our good not just our physical good but our souls, you want our souls to soak up the summer. You made the summer. You made the seasons. You made the lake. Lord, you made many of the foods that we'll be eating this week. And you definitely invent, invented fellowship. And I pray we can enjoy that. But I pray we would enjoy it, understanding the love and discipline of Christ. Pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that is not called on the name of Jesus and now understands your motive and these things that they've been thinking about in their heart and their head, that it's love, it's based on love and a desire to see you have joy in your life. I pray that right now, if you're one of those people, you just call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Cry out to him and say, help me, forgive my sin. I believe you died on the cross and rose again and I'm trusting in you right now. Say that to God in your heart and he will save you. 
He tests and weighs the motives of the heart. So it's not about how perfect your words are. It's about your heart being surrendered to him. And if there are others here today that need to join this church and be part of those who serve here, I pray you would lead them here as well. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.